Philippines ranks number one, actually, in terms of like where bad things come from the Pacific Ocean, like typhoons, storm surge waves. And very recently, we had like multiple earthquakes, like up to seven, uh, magnitude seven earthquakes. And we have a lot of volcanoes as well. So we have flooding, we have like landslide, everything that you can think of, it happens here. Hello, Clever Henry's Tribe, and welcome to season seven. This is going to be a deep one. We're talking with the founder of Scouts over in Manila, Philippines, Miles Delphine. His organization actually started at the same time as the worst typhoon or hurricane, for those of you in the Western Hemisphere, in the entire history of those storms. So, Miles, how did that even happen? You guys were on the ground the day after Typhoon Haiyan hit the Philippines. How did how were you already prepared? Oh well, before I before I tell that story, I, I just want to say thank you and thank you for everyone who are listening in to Clever Hybrids. I'm very happy and very grateful for for being here. We we are bike scouts. We started actually on the day that Typhoon Yolanda made landfall because I was wa- watching in the news back then. I was I was working in the advertising in, I- industry, so I was sitting in my office. And then I was watching the news, uh, actually CNN, and I saw how people were receiving like help that they needed, like shelter, medicine, water, and food and everything. But nobody actually had access to communication and information. Because of our very strong sense of community here in the Philippines, communication information about each other, about, about our friends or family members, it's, it's a very big deal. And people didn't have access to that. I saw that on the news that people were sitting in evacuation centers, uh, at ground zero of where Typhoon Yolanda made landfall back in 2013, which was, of course, Tacloban City in the province of Leyte and actually parts of the western side of Samar province as well, which is like right beside Leyte province. So these are two separate islands. And so I was watching the news and I saw how people were sitting in evacuation camps and even in just makeshift camps, and they really had no way to find out where their relatives were, where their friends were. In fact, when... Anderson Cooper was actually interviewing a few of the people who were there. Uh, they barely had clothes left because all of their their entire villages and towns and, and, and even a city was washed out to sea by, by storm surge waves created by Typhoon Yolanda. And so people were left with absolutely nothing. What the survivors wanted to do actually more than answer the questions was to um, reach out to their, to their relatives and friends who were, who, that, that they had no idea whatever happened to, to all of them. And so they were requesting for Anderson Cooper to broadcast their message that uh, we are here, we're okay, but please let us know if you're okay as well so we can get together, maybe help each other. One thing that people always ask me, so why bicycles? The Philippines, of course, it's not like the US, it's not like the UK, it's not like, you know, more developed countries. There's not a lot of like helicopters, there's not like a lot of uh, motor vehicles that responders have, but we do have a lot of people and we do have a lot of bicycles that are lying around. And we've actually seen how bicycles are able to help people find support, find help, find supplies uh, during this time in 2013. And so that's why I call it a very Filipino solution to a very Filipino problem. Because here in the Philippines, again, we have a lot of people who, who care about others. We have that concept, what we call bayanihan, actually. A rough explanation of that would be just people in a community helping each other solve local problems. That's what bayanihan is. Back in the old days, it went all the way up to, do you want to move house? Like literally, people would lift your home because it was made of bamboo and nipa, and they would transfer it to a new location. <laughs> it could be as big as that as well. 
even to this day, people practice bayanihan in a in a different, in a more modern way. Of course, I wanted to connect the availability of bicycles with a sense of community, the sense of bayanihan of Filipinos, and of course, the reason why I was the first thing that came to mind for me was bicycles because I actually used to race mountain bikes when I was much younger. <laughs> I used to uh, race in cross country and twenty four hour events. Came very naturally to me to, to like put those two things together. The infrastructure that we have, it's so vulnerable to disasters because a lot of the places here in the Philippines, they're just simply exposed to all of the elements. And the Philippines ranks number one, actually, in terms of like where bad things come from the Pacific Ocean, like typhoons, storm surge waves. And very recently we had like multiple earthquakes, like up to seven, uh, magnitude seven earthquakes. And we have a lot of volcanoes as well. So we have flooding, we have like landslide, everything that you can think of, it happens here. That's why we rank number one in terms of like vulnerability to disasters. And in fact, 74% of our population is actually vulnerable to like disaster events, all kinds of disaster events. Yeah. When you say vulnerable, what exactly does that mean? Because I think that's become a a buzzword now. So what does that mean for the people on the ground? Yeah. uh, A good example probably for like the international audience to be able to imagine what I mean by vulnerable is that. Even our major cities are prone to like severe flooding, like every single year, guaranteed there will be flooding. There will be, it's prone to earthquakes. Some of our major cities are, and towns are actually near volcanoes. Like for example, there's a city called Naga City, which is a major city in the middle part of the Philippines. It's right at the foot of Mount Mayon. Mount Mayon, of course, is popular among tourists who've been to the Philippines for its near perfect uh, volcanic cone. So that's what it's known for. It's very beautiful, actually, but it's still a volcano. So, and whenever it erupts uh, or like spews ma- uh, lava and stuff like that, the city and the towns are, are very close. Even in that region, in the past few years, we've had severe flooding. And when I say vulnerable, all kinds of things. The, the Philippines is not like big. It's not a big place like Russia or even North America, even like countries in North America. If something bad happens in one area, it affects a lot of different like parts of the country. Yeah, even going back to Typhoon Yolanda, from the stats that I picked up, there were about 67,000 confirmed deaths according to the WHO, but it affected 13 million people in 44 of the provinces. So it was, it was huge. So let's go back to your response to that. When you saw people being interviewed, how did that end up being four months on site helping people? What's the, the story in between? literally a span of 24 hours that we put bike scouts together, sort of like cobbled everything together. I put out a post on Facebook, actually, just describing the idea that if anyone with a bicycle wants to join me, uh, we can serve as volunteer bicycle messengers for disaster response. 200 people actually signed up (laughs) within a few hours. A friend of mine sort of like connected to specialized bicycles here in the Philippines. So it's a major bicycle brand. Uh, global bicycle brand, they offer, offered basically their, their office for us to use for our very first meeting. Like within 48 hours, we were talking to the Air Force, we were getting bicycles onto like C-130 aircraft, like Air Force aircraft, and we were on our way to, to ground zero. So it was just as fast as that. Local businesses and friends and members of the community just pitched in whatever they could. And that's that's how we were able to deploy in, in the first few days of, of Typhoon Yolanda, basically. That's crazy. So this could have been just a one-time thing. So how did this turn into now 
10 years? Yeah, good question. <laughs> Originally, I really didn't have any plans of like creating something long-term. I just really felt bad. I had the right network to be able to do something like tangible for the people who were affected by the typhoon. It, I didn't really have like a long-term plan. During our response to typhoon Yolanda, more and peop more people uh, started to sort of like send messages to us saying that we love what you're doing and, we, and, and a lot of them actually had like relatives and even like non-Filipinos who were living abroad, they had wives, they had kids, they had relatives here in the Philippines that they could not uh, contact. They reached out to us and we, we like ended up with a very long list of people that we need to find. And, and that's basically what we did. It will end up talking like for hours <laughs> if I tell like all of the interesting stories that we ended up with. Over the past few years, over the past 10 years, what happened was that people just started to discover what we were doing and they immediately understood it. It was basically Bayanihan. It was basically community-based, like genuine community-based effort and understanding that it was a platform for ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so it sort of like just took a life of its own. To put it bluntly, there was just really nothing that I could do about it. It was like out of my hands. It was really in the hands of, of the community members of the Bike Scouts, the volunteers. And I, I, I probably say every time that I, I get interviewed or, I, or I, I get to talk about the Bike Scouts that if you've ever heard of anything amazing that the Bike Scouts has done, it's, I, I can't actually like take credit for it because it's, it's actually the community members who do all the work. Yes, I, I started Bike Scouts. But these days, I mostly do admin work. I mostly like do this to promote Bike Scouts. And the Bike Scouts community does a lot because every year, the Philippines gets hit by Category 5 typhoons, Category 4 typhoons, at least 20 of them every year, every single year, guaranteed. So there's like a lot. And that's just typhoons. Everyone just self-organized. And now we have like teams and, and communities all over the Philippines. And they're doing all sorts of amazing things. There was a, a woman who is a bike scout, lives in the Visayas region of the Philippines, just posted on, on, on the Facebook community of, of bike scouts about an elderly person, an elderly guy and his wife. This guy used to drive her on a pedicab. Pedicab is, of course, a bicycle with a sidecar. Very popular mode of transport in the Philippines. Doesn't require fuel, just human power. And so this elderly guy used to drive her on his pedicab from home to school and from school to home every single day until she graduated, basically. And then during the pandemic, she met that old guy and discovered that he lost his uh, pedicab and had no source of income because there was like massive lockdowns. And it was very strict here in the Philippines. A lot of people lost their jobs, actually, because they, got, they couldn't go to work. That old guy and his, and his wife ended up with no, no home. They had no food and they needed medication because they were getting like really old. And so she just posted that. And it was just so amazing to, to watch it unfold because before I could even like do anything, like within less than an hour, the community just banded together and they were able to build a house, provide groceries. The most amazing thing for me, of course, is like, how do you collect enough support to build a house in like less than an hour? And I've seen that happen. And it's that kind of thing. It's that kind of experience and story that we get on a daily basis in the Bike Scouts community. Like, for example, whenever I log into the Facebook community of Bike Scouts every morning, I see all of these stories. Like, we have a ton of, like, group chats, and everyone just posts everything that has been happening in the past 12, 24 hours. And it's just amazing that people can, can do so much good if you give them the chance. That's what the Bike Scouts community is really all about.
And that's why I love doing it. It sounds like a marketing line uh, when we say that we ride to deliver hope, but it's actually something that we've seen over and over again. This is actually the hardest thing about being a volunteer bicycle messenger, being a bike scout working in the field, anywhere that, that people are isolated by severe disasters. A lot of them break down in tears, probably not because they're happy to see us, but because they weren't really expecting anyone to show up. Yeah, that even happens in, in other countries as well. Usually they go to the cities first, then they might even send a search and rescue team to the area where the rich people live. But the people in the rural areas, they either get help last or people are like, there's no bridge or anything there. We'll get to them late. By then, it's usually too late. That's true. And we've seen that over and over. Again, I have a ton of examples, maybe for like for a future time, like. I can tell you all of those stories, but here in the Philippines, actually, a lot of people like criticize the government for not doing enough, but I think, I actually think that they're trying, trying their best. Even the government here doesn't have enough resources. They don't have enough manpower. They don't have enough everything, anything. They don't have enough anything. Yeah, there are like hundreds of different uh, dialects here in the Philippines. I speak Cebuano, Ilongo, partly because of my work with the Bike Scouts community as well. Uh, but the good thing about the Philippines is actually that actually everyone speaks some level of English. And and this is conversational English. This is not like broken English. You can go through YouTube, for example, like travel vloggers, and they would attest that anywhere you go in the Philippines, they, they find it easy to to communicate with, with Filipinos anywhere in the country. And even in the disaster situation, it's the same thing. That's why the International Red Cross, the United Nations, who are actually our partners as well, they find it easy to operate in the Philippines. Because like, for example, if they need volunteers, they can just walk out of their front door and talk to people. <laughs> you know, they, they can find someone, they can communicate very easily. And it's the same thing for us. It's actually a funny story that sometimes we, we try to speak a dialect that we don't really naturally know. <laughs> and, and we sort of like, mess up a little bit and then like this kid will run up to us and just tell us what exactly you're trying to tell me <laughs> and this is so funny <laughs> oh my god you could have just told us that you speak english why why did you let us sort of like <laughs> go through all the trouble of trying to speak the dialect that we don't really know like maybe in the future if you get to visit the the philippines you can end up uh, on el nido or in Boracay or somewhere and then you know you'll be sitting on the beach and then You'll have the same experience. I guarantee it that, you know, you, you can talk to like anyone. You won't get lost because you can easily ask for direction. You can ask for help. Yeah. Why is that? I know that the Philippines was a, a Spanish colony and an American colony for a while. Oh, yeah. But many other, yeah, many other Asian countries that were colonies of yeah. different European powers, people don't speak that language anymore. Yeah. So why are Filipinos still so fluent in English? It has everything to do with with our history, actually. That the Philippines has been under this under Spanish rule for hundreds of years. Actually, they were sort of like the first longest like ruling colonial power to arrive in the Philippines, and that's why a lot of us have Spanish sounding names. Even our food, there's uh, a lot of times are Spanish sounding, even though we're in Southeast Asia, which a lot of people find strange. <laughs> but it's just <laughs> it's because of that influence. So we have a connection with, with Mexico, for example, because of the galleon trade during the Spanish era. But we, we also like had interactions with, it, with Chinese, with Portuguese, with British, with, with everyone. But it was the Americans who sort of like 
they were the last ones. They were actually the ones who declared that, okay, you guys are ready to have your independence. So they helped liberate the Philippines during World War II. It was them who actually set up a proper education system. So everything, of course, was taught in English. Even me, for example, technically, I live in the provinces in the Philippines. I, I was born and, and I grew up in the provinces, but uh, I learned English from a very young age because that's what, what everyone in the school uh, was speaking. Whenever I went to the department store, for example, that's what they were, they were speaking. So it was like very natural for us to be, to be speaking in English. In fact, I think you'll find like some interviews on YouTube again, where Filipinos are asked, are you more uh, comfortable speaking in English or in Filipino, which is the national language? And then there was this interview that when you answer that question, please speak in Filipino only. 10 out of 10, Filipinos end up saying English words. <laughs> because uh, to be honest, I, it could be a bad thing, but I don't know. But, you know, uh, most, most times it's hard for us to express ourselves purely in our own language. We need, we need to use English words for, for a lot of things. Yeah, I'm seeing that happen with a lot of languages. Even my husband's language, he's from East Africa. They, they were an Italian colony and also a Turkish colony for a while. Then under British rule a little bit after World War II. So they have a lot of English words mixed in. Now we have Spanglish. We have Danglish, <laughs> which is German mixed with English. So I guess... Since everyone is using technology and things now, we're, we're having that common culture with some English words. You mentioned in another interview, I think it was about two or three years ago, that Bicecouts was something that you wanted to export to other Southeast Asian countries. So yep. how is that going? Well, it's a work in progress. Even the ones who are more like well off in terms of like their economy because of the geography of Asia in general, we are all prone to the same disaster events. We are all, uh, I think the proper term is like climate vulnerable. So it doesn't matter which country you go in Asia or in Southeast Asia, there are always like large parts of countries here, uh, that are impacted by, by climate change, by the climate crisis and by climate crisis generated disasters. Simple rainfall here is not just rain. It eventually ends up be becoming a flood, landslides, all kinds of things. Yeah, even last week we had to cancel because you had three things going on at the same time. I think you said it was a, a hurricane, an earthquake that was like on seven on the Richter scale, and also a terrorist attack. So it's oh. <laughs> a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, we don't normally respond to like terrorist attacks, but whenever stuff like that happens. And it only happens in like a particular areas of the Philippines, not the entire Philippines, just to be clear. But we do have community members all over the Philippines. It's very complex process now that you have more members. So tell us about how many members you have now and how is your deployment process different here 10 years in versus that first time? I think I should begin by saying that when we started out, I knew everyone, almost everyone who showed up. But all over the Philippines, we can call on 100,000 volunteers. And the reason that we were able to scale that much is because it's because of the cycling clubs, cycling groups, and the community organizations, actually, that we've been able to engage with. And a, a large portion of that 100,000 people that we can call on, I know that they're there because I've actually met a lot of them. Because over the past 10 years, we've been, I've been giving talks about the Bike Scouts, doing workshops, resilience workshops, I call them. 
the skills to help themselves whenever disaster happens. Anywhere that people would, would gather and ask us questions. The name is really perfect for what you're doing because it's bike scouts. So scouts usually go out before everyone else to check what the situation is. It's like your logo is a person on a bike with wings, kind of like a messenger. Yeah, you're still muted. Oh, I was saying that the logo is behind me. <laughs> That's really cool. If you're listening and not watching, you guys have to definitely watch to take a look at this because it's a person on a bike with wings. Does the wings showing them is like they're a messenger, like an angel or for the speed? What's the meaning? It's a little bit of both. Because of the bicycles, we're able to get in and out of disaster areas very quickly. And at the same time, again, because we deliver mainly hope. To, to people wherever we ride. So, yeah, I'm not saying that we're angels. I don't think we are. But but uh, <laughs> in the eyes of the people, uh, I think that is, we provide the same kind of service as, as maybe like more divine creatures would, would probably be able to do. Even the word angels is the word actually means messengers. That's what you guys are doing. Awesome. <laughs> You mentioned you were in advertising before all this started. So are, are you still in advertising? Is Bicycle Scouts full-time now? Where, where are you in the middle of this idea that has blossomed like this? Actually, I tried to do both things for a while, but then realized that it's just physically impossible for me. So now I'm doing this full-time. But of course, I still have to like do consultancy work every now and then for, for various stuff. Now, mostly related to climate and resilience. Yeah, but, but basically I do bike sales full time because, because I don't have any other choice. Uh, it has grown to a scale that uh, it really requires attention like 24-7. We actually got selected by, by Meta, the parent company of Facebook, for their uh, Facebook Community Accelerator Program. So we did get funding from, from, from Meta and then we were a finalist for the Prudence Foundation Disaster Tech Awards. We never actually wanted to collect donations. So we're not that kind of organization. We are registered in the Securities and Exchange Commission here in the Philippines as a nonprofit, but only because we don't have any other options. In the U.S., they have B Corps. They have other options for like how you can more accurately register yourself. But here, it's, you're either a for-profit or a nonprofit. We just thought that it would be more proper if we registered as a nonprofit. We only accept support whenever we have a specific thing that, that we need to do, which is not a very good plan, actually, because uh, when disasters happen, it's better if we're prepared beforehand rather than the last minute. But it's, it's very hard because for us to be able to handle, for example, money, we need like professionals to be working with us full time so that everything can be handled properly, like the administrative part of that is not something that we can just do with, with volunteers because, you know, volunteers, of course, they have family, they have jobs, they have their own lives to take care of. And it, it, it's kind of difficult. In the, in the beginning, I was actually just taking all of my personal money, like any, whatever I earned from my personal projects, and that's what I used for, for the bike scouts to the point actually that I was even spending my, my rent money <laughs> for my apartment for even my grocery money, for like everything that the bike scouts needed. So that's that's basically how I, I kept it going for like the early years. We're working with an advertising agency, actually. Uh, it's called Havas Ortega. So Havas, of course, is, a, is an international advertising agency. 
And then they've connected us with, with brands like Pizza Hut. But we're in the very early stages of something that we're trying to build in terms of like sustainability for the Bike Scouts. And my idea basically is that we would prefer to work with, with brands and corporations rather than try to collect money from individual people. My logic for that is that brands and businesses, they can actually earn back the money that whatever money that they give to the Bike Scouts. Maybe what we're doing is good for the world, but I, I know for a fact, because again, because I come from a country like the Philippines, I know that people will give money even though they don't have money to spare. Again, because I come from advertising, I know that brands and corporations and, and businesses are starting to come around and have realized that the climate crisis is a real problem that they can actually make a difference with. And so I'm trying to design the Bike Scouts now as something that's safe, that's good, that provide like real world impact for brands and corporations to support. My plan is to give it away to the community. The plan is to amend our SEC registration and give all of the voting rights to the community members so they can elect themselves into the board, they can elect themselves as officers and play a real uh, part in the direction and planning and management of the Bike Scouts as a community. Since the very beginning, I've always promoted Bike Scouts as a real community-based solution. This year is actually our 10th anniversary. And I, I realized that maybe it's time for us to live up to that statement that we are 100% community-based. And that, that won't happen for as long as I'm the one who is still sitting at the top. Yeah, it takes a lot of humility. There are a lot of organizations, profit and non-profit, where the, the boss, quote-unquote, is like, I'm staying until I die. And then they do die. And everything is destroyed. So it takes a lot of humility on your part to plan for the future like that. Well, I'm not sure if it's humility. It's just that because I'm, I'm more of a, I'm, I'm really an on-the-ground person kind of leader. And so for the past 10 years, I've really been going around all over the Philippines, like meeting with, with our team leaders, meeting with our communities and teams. And one thing I, I've confirmed, there are a lot of like people out there who are far more clever than I have, who have far more talent than, than I have. I sat down with a fisherman under a tree, watching the, the sea, basically, early morning. And that fisherman was actually a bike scout. And I realized that he understood his community better than I could ever dream of because he lives there. And it didn't make any sense for me to sort of like tell him what to do because it was him who understood what they needed. And so I was thinking that he should be the one leading, not me. I should be the one providing support for his leadership. It's not just humility. I think it's a necessity for, for a project, for an idea, for a concept like the Bike Scouts to work for the long term. I think people need to lead. So... That's the plan. Yeah, you're the second nonprofit leader that I've heard in a few months that has said that. The other one was Ana Rosa de Lima from Melly Bees in Brazil. She said the same thing. I don't want to be going to Brazil all the time. I want to empower the community leaders to just do their thing. So yeah, it, it, if it you is. don't want to go let you, Melody, I will. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> Someday, if you get to visit the Philippines, uh, I would love for you to, to meet our community members. And, and you'll know what I mean. It's not a decision that I sort of like consciously made. It's, it's really what I've seen. It's what's what I've experienced. It's what people have shown. I'm a big believer in local context. So because we live in an age where there's technology, there's data, there's algorithms and everything. Yes, and I support technology very, very much. But at the same time, I think 
technology and data is less effective without local context. Very specific human information that algorithms don't understand. And the same thing for disaster response. It's the same thing for resilience. Google can tell that fisherman, for example, sitting on that beach, how to catch fish, where to catch fish, what time of day, how to navigate using the shadow of rocks under the water. They actually do that. <laughs> they can actually navigate by the shape of the rocks under the water. And they've been doing that for generations. There are all of these things that you can learn from people that can contribute to like problem solve. Not just in the Philippines, but I think all over the world, if we care to listen, if we stop and just let people speak and just let people share what they can actually do. Yeah, that's a good reminder for my generation because we've gotten used to Googling and now asking ChatGPT, but some things you can only learn from another human. So thank you for that reminder. So Miles, thank you so much for being with us. Can you please tell us where we can find out more about Bike Scouts and how corporations or brands can reach out to you to be part of your network now. Again, thank you so much for everyone who are tuning into Clever Hybrids. Uh, thank you, Gabby, for, for inviting me. It, it, it's such a pleasure and I'm very grateful for this opportunity. You can find Bike Scouts on Facebook. We have a group on, on Facebook, uh, Bicycle Scouts Project. There's a link there going to our page as well. Please visit the group and the page. We update like on a daily basis and you can find links to, to the group chats as well if you care to join the conversation about community-based disaster response and resilience. So thank you very much. Yeah, and I don't know why you guys with nonprofits are so humble. Don't forget to follow Miles Delphine on LinkedIn too. He shares his insights on ongoing climate policy or even disasters that are in the middle of happening. So if you want more like on the minute news about that sort of thing, follow him on LinkedIn as well. That's where I found. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You got to do some self promo in there for yourself too. Maybe you can do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Thank you. I hope that you're thinking a little bit more about countries that are more climate vulnerable than maybe where you're listening from. This is Gabby B for Clever Hybrids signing off, and we'll see you in the next one.